0: Welcome to the Building Community Podcast, a show for thought leaders like you. You know that success depends on relationships between your organization and the people in and around it. This season will focus on insider insights, where experts will let you in on their best practices in a specific area of community building. Together, we shine the light on how community helps you reach your corporate goals. I'm your host, Timon Apacha and I've been empowering organizations for a decade and a half doing exactly that. Ready for it? Listen in as we set out to make communities thrive.
1: Ultimately, values felt more than it is just communicated with words.
0: This is Randall Videnar who helps organizations focus on the connections that are at the core of every human heart. Randall is an organizational culture researcher, and he is the founder and CEO of VP Culture. In this episode, he reveals the one thing that motivates all people and cultures— And he shares how organizational leaders can use that knowledge to best support their teams to intentionally create culture. Interested in Randall and his work? Find out more in the show notes. What employee communities are really about, that Team for Life framework I talk so much about is our people. Our teams, it's when we put together a portfolio of programs and services that we specifically tailor to fulfill our team members' needs. And that goes to the time while they're with us and also to scenarios when they continue their career progression elsewhere. But when we look closely, building community goes much, much deeper. When we're doing it the right way, we work really hard to identify our team members' needs to help them find fulfillment to adjust our approach as their needs change and to make our team members seen and heard. What we want to be sure about is that they develop the feeling that they belong, that they found a place that values them, understands them, where they can be inspired. And that notion is exactly why employee communities are an excellent tool to help shape culture in an organization. Today, we take a deep look at corporate culture and how we can identify what our team members need most and how leaders can give them that. Welcome to the show, Randall. I'm excited to dive into this with you today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's an exciting topic and I enjoy talking about it. We've
0: seen a shift in corporate culture recently, Randall, and as we've gone through this new approach of how, when, and where people prefer to work, and as organizations are trying to catch up, quite frankly we're often wondering, what is culture? What is corporate culture really? So my first question to you is, how do you define culture when it comes to our corporate environment?
1: Yeah, I have a simple definition that I like to use for corporate culture, which is culture is the emotional current that you intentionally create. That's the simplest explanation. And if you think about when you enter into a certain workplace or you even just go to a party, you start to feel that there's an um, emotional current in the room that's drawing you to act in a certain way. And so, like you're from Austria, I've lived in Greece. When you go to Austria, you're going to feel the emotional tension to behave in a certain way. And if you go to Greece, you're going to feel a, a different emotional tension to behave in a different way. And I try to simplify that so that leaders can understand, oh, I'm creating a current So that people will feel moved in a certain direction. They'll feel moved toward these norms and these behaviors and not towards those. Those will feel awkward and not what we do around here because everyone else is going in that direction. They start to move in that direction. So it's a very powerful force that we as human beings are innately wired to sense. We sense that emotional current as soon as you walk into a room and you start moving with it naturally rather than against it. So it's a tool for the organization and for the individuals to actually start moving people in the right direction rather than the wrong direction.
0: You're mentioning the intentionality here. When you're Mm -hmm. talking about culture out in the world, this is something that we grew up with historically. It's the vibe of different locations, geographics. But organizations can actually go about this in a very strategic and intentional way, setting up a culture from the ground up. And usually when I'm saying ground up, it's actually the opposite. Culture is something that trickles from the top down to the bottom.
1: Correct. Well, it's a, it's a really good point. There's a bi-directionality of culture of top down and and bottom up. If there's no intentionality from the top, it will definitely bubble up from the bottom and be set unintentionally by A lot of people who are oftentimes disgruntled actors who maintain power and coerciveness to try to maintain control in their environment. So they try to create safety by making the world wrap around them and their norms and their behavior. So they'll be sending off a lot of emotional currents that if not checked, will be trying to find that certainty and that control in their environment. The more intentional we can be about our culture, that's totally spot on the intentionality of leadership to create culture, you'll start to make that flow towards the things that are positive for all stakeholders involved. And that's very important.
0: And it's not how we used to think that culture are benefits and perks when we're thinking about a few years ago when Silicon Valley, everybody was offering free lunches and putting ping pong tables everywhere and unlimited PTO. That's not what we're thinking of when we're thinking culture, when we're talking culture. And I know that you've done the research on the ultimate why, that one thing that motivates all people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's another great point. I find that there's one thing that ultimately moves people that really crystallizes leadership around creating that culture. Because when you understand what that one thing is, then you'll be able to work with people rather than trying to push them into a culture. They'll be internally inspired to go that way because you've shown them what they've already wanted inside of themselves rather than pushing them to some sort of external goal. And ultimately, a ping pong table is not the ultimate thing that everyone wants in in their lifetime or even ultimate PTO. So it's centralizing on that one thing, which I find is valuing people. When, when anytime you walk into a social situation, you're looking around, am I valued? You, you look around, is there anyone who innately values me? Oh, there's my friends in the corner. And you just go over to those people and you go, hi, I'm here. You're valuing me. I feel valued. And then you might slowly branch out and introduce yourself to other people and increase your circle of people that you feel valued with. But it always starts with, I feel valued. And if I can answer that question to the affirmative in a culture, then I'll be moving forward and moving towards that. So that's the bedrock. That's the, the ultimate neurological component of every human being that's moving towards that in culture and every social situation.
0: So us feeling valued by others, maybe also us valuing others, the reciprocity of that, does it play into it as well?
1: Correct. It, it's, it's both ultimately in society, people feel valued when they're giving value. So I'm a valuable person in this environment when people need me and when I feel needed. And when I give and receive, there's this reciprocity that happens precisely. And when people are doing that, we're sort of voluntarily giving, receiving value back and forth. And so it's, it's a win-win situation. We always are looking to create those win-win quotients in value. If it's disproportionate, then it's usually not Uh, mutual valuing. Someone's kind of coasting on someone else's value. So it always needs to look like a win-win for everyone.
0: Like a win-win. And that kind of makes me think a little bit of Christmas Day when you enjoy more seeing others unwrapping your gifts and giving something to them than you do opening your own gifts.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a part of that whole equation of am I a part of this society and am I contributing to it? And when you are contributing, then people will say, hey, you're a valuable member of this society or this community or this team or this friendship. Yeah. That's that's one of the critical components of it.
0: So when I work with startups and with organizations that are still fairly young, I see that that they naturally think that way. That old misguided belief that it's all about money and status and power that moves the world. That's gone. Our next generation, they have different attitudes and they have better and different understanding of what it is that they actually need. So people in my parents' generation, for example, when they're still in the workforce, they have a very hard time actually identifying their own needs and identifying what it is that makes them tick. And then that's also very difficult for them to ask for that, to create that scenario, to communicate it to an organization. So that younger generation are they more in tune with their own values?
1: Yeah, I think there's a move towards uh, a greater appreciation of one's own emotional self and the emotional aspect in life. You can even see it in the way storytelling has developed on cinema. It used to be very literal, and now you just see pictures of spaces and they're emoting, and you know exactly what's going on. There's a greater content of emotionality within, within our society in general. And so, yes, there is a difference in the generations. I think all generations have some aspect of of that valuing going on, but it is an emotional current. So I think that the younger generation has an easier vision as to how to see that emotional current. They're more aware of it. Unfortunately, they're not always aware of the intentional steps that are needed to create that culture, even though they're more aware of it. So I think there's a need for even this generation, the younger generation, to really dig into some intentional steps of building a positive valuing culture in their personal worlds and in their corporate organizational worlds.
0: So value itself is something that's not tangible. It's not something that we can touch and it's really hard to put numbers on it
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: when we're talking to leaders, we often hear, well, why should I invest time, money, effort into creating, into purposely creating culture here? Because creating culture, that's something that's really hard to do as well. How do you create culture in an organization? How do you go about that?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. And I think yeah. that one of the biggest things that I find, both on the individual level and on the corporate level, is that people don't really understand what drives them as human beings. Neurologically, they don't understand. There's this tension between what I desire and what I really love and want. And I use this question called the eternity question to help people clarify it so that they can experience it themselves rather than me just telling them. I say, imagine with me that you're opening a sci-fi portal into eternity and you have to take one thing from this world, only one thing, and it will satisfy you for all eternity keep you happy, keep you motivated, keep you going. So it has to be something pretty pretty special to go over there. And so I offer things that are usually here. You can be highly compensated and get as much money as you want. but That's all you get is that one thing that has to satisfy you for all eternity. And then I take it a little bit higher and say, okay, maybe you have a job that you enjoy. You get to pick an experience that you enjoy like tennis or mountain biking or fishing or whatever it is. You only get to do that one activity for all eternity. Would that work? And then I, then I get really purposeful. You get to do something, a great accomplishment. Do a nonprofit organization, build a corporation, you know, paint the greatest painting, write the greatest symphony. That's all you get. It's just that one accomplishment to work on for all eternity. And then I give them a fourth choice. I said, or for all eternity, you could be surrounded by those who care and value you. For all eternity, what would you choose? And immediately, I could see it in the crowd. They all go, that one. They don't have to think about it at all. They just brighten up and ask them to raise their hand and 100% raise their hands. And I'm talking about welders, CEO, line leaders, HR directors, everyone universally chooses, I want to be surrounded by those who are valued. And that's backed up by science. But here's the thing. It's like most people don't live their lives with those priorities. If you focus your life on, I want to create value for others and I want to be valued, that changes everything. And that's if you can create culture, that's the first step in culture is focusing the minds of everyone in your organization that we're here to create value for all of the stakeholders in our organization, yourself, your team, and the communities that we serve. Those three dynamics of creating value for those groups is why we're here as an organization. And if you can have that front and center, then your culture it has that true north. It, that's the problem that most cultures have is they think, oh, well, here's 52 good ideas, ping pong tables, PTO, leadership seminars, and they're just throwing things in the wall. And everyone shows up like, do I want ping pong or do I want PTO? They don't know where they're going and their culture is misguided. It has no plan. It has no direction. And I choose that one direction because it's the way we are neurologically wired. It's a fundamental fact of human beings. So it's not something randomly chosen or idealistically chosen. It's actual correspondence to who we are as human beings
0: that resonates a lot emotionally. But when I look at the news, when I'm turning on CNN, when I'm reading my newspapers, I see that organizations are hurting. The market is showing them challenges. They need to stay competitive. They need to create a profit as high as possible. How in such an environment do you actually put people first? What are the scenarios when you decide, okay, here is where I'm focusing on my team rather than focusing first on profit? Are there any organizations out there that have done this really well? Or, or, for example, are there any organizations out there who've done this really badly where they had a choice between focusing on their people, showing them that they value them above all else, mm-hmm. or rather focusing on profit and competition? and
1: democracy? Sure, sure. Yeah, first of all, it's not a zero-sum game. And that's probably the error that we carry over from classical management. Like if you invest in these programs that are people that cost time and money, our bottom line will suffer. The case studies show that as you create value for people, your bottom line increases. They follow each other. In fact, if you put the bottom line first, the value of people goes down and then your bottom line goes down. So it is a reciprocal relationship. But when you make it a win-win, you can be generative. Like Every organization, when you think of, is it profitable or generative? Then generative is like, yeah, we create profits so that our employees can share in it. We create profits so that we can research and develop even better products for our community. So it's a win 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 when we look at it like that. So it's a generative algorithm rather than a simple plus and minus scenario, which is the old scenario, the old paradigm that really isn't complex enough to the human situation. So that's what we're looking at, first of all. And then a couple of stories. Are situations like the classic Dieselgate story with Volkswagen, where their CEO just demanded that we were going to be number one and he set this goal for their organization and would not listen to any other outcomes. And so ultimately, that led to like numbers crunching engineers to make ethical decisions to actually, you know, hack the software that ran the cars. And it cost their company billions of dollars in litigation, billions of dollars in stock share. And it was because they were shooting for, hey, let's become the most valuable company financially in the world, rather than saying, hey, let's be generative and create goodness for all of the stakeholders involved. It's a great part of the equation. And companies that do it well generate lots of good and lots of financial benefits for everyone involved.
0: And that example that you gave also showcases really well that corporate culture is not only happening on an organizational level. It trickles down to the individual perspective, that individual manager, that individual leader works with their direct reports.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, while culture is created top-down, people leave team leaders. They don't leave corporations.
0: Yeah, that is so true. And Let's go back a little bit. We've been using that terminology to value somebody, to be valued mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. somebody quite a bit. Yeah. It's quite individual to each and every one of us, right? Sure. It kind of speaks to us depending on our experience, the way that we were raised. Like you mentioned in the very beginning, what culture did we grow up in, our belief system. What does it mean to actually value somebody and to be valued by somebody, that itself?
1: Gallup has done surveys that show 70% of employees are still disengaged. They're not satisfied. They're not feeling valued. So there's still this huge gap between like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but how do we do it? And I find that it's in that gap of how do we do it that most people fall short. It's not the intentionality like, oh yeah, I do want to value my employees, but I don't know how. And so first of all, you have to, keep that one thing, the central focus of your company. But then I break it down into three subunits. Like, So how do you do that? You have to have three scientific domains that you practice within your organization. I call that personality science, emotional science, and value science. And I use the word science because there's actual um, modalities that have been employed for decades that are effective in these areas. And what that does is, at personality science hits to that individuality you were talking about. Each person comes with innate traits that will cause them to perceive and behave differently than other people. So a good example is, hey, we're launching a new piece of software. You know, If I've done my personality testing on my team, I'm going to know two of my teammates are going to fe- find this to be fearful, terrifying even, and two are going to be excited about it. It's like, how could More human beings have such diverse responses. Well, it's because their personalities have different factors in them. And it's genetically wired. You know, That's 80% genetics and 20% environment. So it's like nothing you can actually tweak and change. But I, as a leader, can say, hey, this is going to be terrifying. And I know you guys are going to be excited about this. So let's work slowly for you guys to make sure you feel comfortable. And we'll let you guys move ahead. But we'll hold you back so that the other teammates feel like they're coming along with you. So that's a, what a wise leader does to help those teammates feel valued. Otherwise, you know, if I was like the two that were excited about the new thing, I would be very negative towards these two that were afraid of the change and say, "What's wrong with you guys? You're not valuable team members. You're sticking in the muds." But the th- truth of the matter is is like once they learn the new software, they're going to be the ones that stick to it and follow all the rules better than the innovators. So both teams are valuable when they're treated with their personality in mind. So that's that's just one example of how those three sciences work out to create that value for people.
0: That's really interesting. I was going to speak with you as well about what is the process in an organization of making people feel valued? Is there something that we can learn as leaders how to approach this? Not everybody is so naturally and emotionally in tune with other people. Are there like certain things that we can say okay, Try A, B, C, but you're already mentioning one thing. Understand your team members on an emotional and on a psychological level. Do personality tests so you exactly know how they feel in certain scenarios.
1: Yes, that's a specific skill that you can learn in order to relate better and value better your team. And then on an emotional level, I was just listening to Brene Brown talk about this, and it says... We can only value others as much as we value and understand ourselves. So that's what the emotional science is about, allowing people to understand that whole language of emotionality, which is the language that culture is written in. And uh, emotion means to move towards in Latin. So it's the energy within us that moves us toward and involves our intellect and our bodily sensations. So it's not an irrational thing. But it is a, a whole other language. And when you can get in touch with that language, most people can only name three emotions happy, sad, angry. That was a survey of, of over 7,000 people. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's right. So you imagine your average leader only knows happy, sad, angry. That's not very complex. That doesn't involve I'm shocked, I'm surprised, I'm all the nuances and flows and being able to correspond. And usually in every, every manager's life, they've suddenly feel like they hit that stone wall where there's an emotional disconnection and the employee shuts off emotionally because they no longer trust you because you've never really engaged with how they felt. So that's a whole other level of, of skill that can be taught. And when it's learned, you know, a lot of times people call it emotional intelligence. So you look at organizations, there are managers that are both engineers top in their field, but one is also emotional intelligent, and they're going to be 10 to 20% more effective. In fact, Leonard Mildenau, uh, a famous neuroscience and author, said that the most effective surgeons, the most effective engineers, the most effective traders on Wall Street are those that are emotionally, scientifically aware of themselves. So it gives an extra layer because people feel reciprocally valued because ultimately value is felt more than it is just communicated with words.
0: Yeah, that's self-awareness. So oftentimes I feel it's really hard for organizations to see that they have a culture problem as they're building onto that problem. They find out in the very end, as you're saying, when our teams shut off, they're just Mm -hmm. checking out. They see that in productivity. They see that in people leaving. Yeah. When do organizations or how do organizations go about actually figuring out whether or not and when? they have a cultural problem. When does it start to become an issue when things aren't going the way they should be? It's
1: a good question. So I tend to lean on a lot of standardized testing. Every industry usually has some sort of engagement survey to give really good indicators of how well people are doing. So you know, I push people towards those kind of scientific validations if they want to see the numbers about how and diagnose how their organization is looking or doing. Use one of those standardized tests that's been tested Across organizations universally. However, I kind of treat culture like eating well. You know, there's a way to human health by eating the right things, and it's fairly standardized for all human beings. So, what I'm prescribing here is a good cultural diet. So, if you start eating good cultural diets, that should just be your, your litmus test. Do you even have a plan to create good culture? Usually, that first question is no. We don't have a plan. What
0: is good culture? What is good culture?
1: (laughs) You know, usually I do get the answer of like, well, we have ping pong tables and we have pizzas on Fridays. I'm like, that's not a plan for culture. If you don't understand what drives human beings and how to get there, you're probably not going to get there. So don't wait until you find that you're driving off a cliff. Start implementing these healthy cultural practices within your organization. And then you'll start driving that win-win equation that we were talking about earlier. Yeah.
0: A good indicator is also reviews from former employees. We start in, in the public eye. Yeah. It starts hearing people not be a brand ambassador. Well, actually be, but a negative brand ambassador. The word on the streets then about the organization starts not being so rosy. And there you're probably already at this tipping point. It's really about when people start talking negatively about you as an organization in the public eye, what then?
1: You know, you're really a trendsetter in this, and finding that those alumni, if they are still positive and, and happy that they went through your organizational development, that they've just made a step because, hey, they felt called on to something else. They've graduated from your program, and they just say, like, the organization I was just with was the best. I want to be like them. They might go on to be entrepreneurs themselves and say I want to model my organization after the one I just left. You know, I want to make my new department, my new leadership team look exactly like what I learned at the previous organization. That's precisely it. When your people move on from your place with joy and maybe even in nostalgia for where they were, you know, not because they're being pushed out, because They're being rocketed out into more generativity and goodness in the world. And that's just like what you want to see as an organization, that that you're graduating people into even more goodness. And that's a win-win, again, like you were saying. It's not a negativity when someone leaves for opportunistic reasons that they're just going to go out and create more of this. More of what you're generating is being generated out there. And again, you might see that as a loss, but actually, that's a win-win. And you've spoken a lot to that how that person could be an entrepreneur and they could come back and be one of your best customers at your organization as they grow as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So it's an exciting yeah. thing when you can use those kind of tests, that kind of opportunity of your people graduating as alumni to be a testimony to how well your culture is doing and functioning.
0: Yeah. Have your ear to the ground, bring that emotional component in, be open, be transparent. Build trust while you have people with
1: you. Yeah, definitely. It'll be a litmus test to how good of a relationship you had when they leave and you're no longer under your sense of power and control, that the only thing tying you back to you is relationship and connection. That means you actually created genuine connection and relationship. Mm
0: -hmm. Is there one final thing you want to tell organizations who are trying to tie this all together about how to build the right corporate culture?
1: Yeah, I would say it's realizing that there is this one thing that wires and connects us all as human beings, and that's creating value for each other and valuing ourselves and valuing others. If you can focus your organization on that and determine, like, hey, that's our highest value as an organization, then your culture, your alumni, the people that are with you now, they're going to start to feel that value, and you're going to be on the right path because you're going to start bringing in the resources, bringing in the techniques that all line up with that one central pathway. And that's the greatest plan that you can start is having that, that one thing as the highest pinnacle of your organization. And then your organizational methodologies and practices will start to align with that. It's that one principle that will start leading them towards what they need to build into their organization.
0: Excellent. Value and people first. It was great to have you, Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you
0: for listening to the Building Community Podcast. Is there a leader in your organization or network who needs to hear this? Please share this podcast with them. Help get the word out about the immense value of community. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave us a review. Until next time, help your communities thrive.